Welcome to Christ City Church. My name is Emma, and I'm a part of Teen City. I'm going to read the scripture. Please stand as you're able to reference the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Acts of the Apostles. Philippians, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many conceiving proofs. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father he had promised. He said, this is what, we've, this is what you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered t- together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know that it, this isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by this by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samurai, to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Um, dear God, thank you for today. Um, thank you that everyone was able to make it, including the people on the live stream. Um, help the band be able to play well and help Pastor Justin be able to speak words of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. And whether you're joining us here at Minor or on YouTube, online, welcome and thank you for being with us. Uh, I want to begin by asking a question. Who knows what today is? April 24th, yeah. Sunday. Your sister's birthday, Kathy's sister's birthday, happy, happy birthday. Also, Kelly Clarkson's birthday. Uh, the actor Jimon Hunsu, Barbara Streisand, and Shirley MacLaine all have birthdays today. Any other important days, dates? Orthodox Easter, Easter yep. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope was launched this day, 1990. The Woolworth Building in New York City was uh, opened on this day in 1913. The Library of Congress was established by President John Adams on this day in 1800. I'm just going to tell you what the answer that I was going to give <laughs> is, because you're not going to get there. Today is the, is the second Sunday in the season of Eastertide. Okay? Eastertide is the season that comes between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. So we just finished the season of Lent. Right? We finished that last, last week. And uh, Eastertide is this period of 50 days in which churches uh, observe, who, who observe the season of Eastertide treat every Sunday like Easter Sunday. And let me tell you, as somebody who works on a staff at a church, I'm okay with not doing that exactly the same as last Sunday, although it was a wonderful occasion. It was great to be with you all and see so many faces. But today, the second Sunday of Easter is also known as Quasimodo Sunday. Quasimodo Sunday. Now, Quasimodo is the name most of us know from Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
either the Disney movie or the Victor Hugo novel it was adapted from. And let me tell you, the, the book is way darker and way sadder than the Disney movie. It may not be a surprise to you. But Quasimodo Sunday is not named after the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Quasimodo Sunday is named that way because of the Latin liturgy that begins the service on the second Sunday of Eastertide. It goes like this, Quasimodo Geniti Infantes, which translates to just like newborn infants it's from 1 Peter 2. Quasimodo, just like. And so the character Quasimodo from Victor Hugo's novel was named that because he was found abandoned on the steps of the cathedral on Quasimodo Sunday. You're welcome. <laughs> I look forward to your social media posts. Today I learned, and if you know, you know. But uh, on this Quasimodo Sunday, this Sunday after Easter, I want you to think of a significant moment that changed your life. A significant moment that changed your life. Maybe it was a pivotal childhood experience. Um, when your family brought home a pet or the birth of a sibling, the first move you can remember. Maybe it was something that happened in high school, a, a, a first love, a first kiss. Maybe it was leaving home, it was, it was going to college, it was graduating or, or getting your first job. Maybe it was getting married or, or, or a significant heartbreak. Maybe it was when your kids were born. One moment I remember pretty vividly, it took place 20 years ago, summer 2002. I was living in London at the time, halfway through college, and my brother Gabe was graduating from seminary, and so our family, our whole family, was gathering from all over the world, parents from Hong Kong, my brother, other brother uh, and his family from Australia. We were gathering to celebrate my brother Gabe's graduation. That was the purpose of the trip. Uh, it was my first time in California. It was my first time to a California beach. That's, that's little me. My first time with my feet in this side of the Pacific Ocean. My first time experiencing a non-tropical climate in Hong Kong and a non-dreary climate in the UK. It was my first time realizing that a place like this existed. I can still feel the... The, the, the hot sand and the cold water on my feet, the, the sun on my face, almost cloudless skies, the, the perfect temperature. We bought my first pair of board shorts. It had a little like blue flames up the side. I chose them, of course. Bought my first pair of rainbow flip-flops. That was the day I decided, someday, I'm going to live in California. Someday I was going to trade in the gray London skies for the California sun. It took me four more years. It took me a whole other degree. It took the breakup of a three-year relationship for me to finally get there. But I made it. And I can trace at least one thread, one line back from where I stand before you today here in D.C. to the fellowship that brought me to D.C. 13 years ago to the passions and convictions that were uncovered and unlocked during my time in seminary in California, which in turn was seated by that one day with my feet in the Huntington Beach sand and the cold Pacific Ocean in June 2002. I didn't know how much at the time, but that, that day changed my life. 
The resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrated last week, was a far more significant event that changed far more than just my own life. It changed history. It changed the world. It, it changed our understanding of what is possible, of what and who has the final word, to quote Watson last week. Resurrection Sunday is, for Christians, the most significant event in all of history. And yet, here we are on the Sunday after Easter. The band is a little smaller. We, don't, we only have one service again. The emotions are, are a little bit lower. We don't have any butterflies hanging from the ceiling. What now? It's a microcosm of the bigger question, what comes after the resurrection of Jesus? How does this cataclysmic event that took place 2,000 years ago, historically distant, right, and often theologically abstract when we talk about it, how does it offer hope and renewal and, uh, to our broken and hurting world right now, today? Because, of course, not all life-changing events are good. We could bring those to mind as well. We can just look at the news. We could just look at our own lives and name them, wars and shootings and lies and the exploitation of people and of our planet, death, depression, and addiction. What difference does Easter Sunday make in what can often seem like a Good Friday or Silent Saturday world? What difference does Easter Sunday make? That's what we'll be exploring throughout the season of Easter time. Today and then over the next the five weeks in May, what it means to live the resurrection. Or to use Wendell Berry's phrase, to practice resurrection. As individuals and as a community of faith. Uh, we'll be using the lenses of Christ City's core values. Justice, inclusion, presence, prayer, and creativity. As we walk through this series and our framing verses for this series come from chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, where Paul writes, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. In light of the resurrection of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. Not out of a sense of guilt or obligation, but because this is what it looks like to live the resurrection. This is what it looks like to know the power of Jesus in our lives today. This morning, I'll offer an introduction to the series entitled, How to Experience the Resurrection. And to give you the punchline up front, what I hope we'll see today is that we experience Jesus' resurrection and we experience our own resurrections through the presence of Jesus made manifest in the promised spirit of Jesus who gives us the power of Jesus to accomplish the purposes of Jesus with the people of Jesus. If you didn't catch that, I'm going to go through it now. But the Bible passage for today, it comes from the first chapter of the book of Acts, of the Acts of the Apostles, which in turn is the second part of what's called, often called Luke Acts. 
as in the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. Said author is traditionally assumed to be Luke, a medical missionary and a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. And both the Gospel and the book of Acts begin with a dedication to a person called Theophilus, for whom Luke is writing. Here's what he says in Acts. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote, the Gospel, concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. So last week on Easter Sunday, we looked at at, uh, Luke 24. The week before that on Palm Sunday, we were in Luke 19. And so we've been walking alongside Luke's account for, for a few weeks now. Today's passage comes after Jesus' death, after the resurrection, after the encounter on the road to Emmaus, but it comes before Jesus' ascension into heaven. It comes before the festival of Pentecost. It comes before the disciples are are sent out and and, and shot out into the world uh, to preach the good news. At this point in the narrative, the disciples, they're still finding their feet in this new world where resurrection is not only possible, but it's happened. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. Luke continues, after Jesus' suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. Every Easter, a certain segment of my social media connections uh, goes around and around over the question of whether Jesus was actually literally bodily resurrected from the grave and whether it matters, uh, whether it really matters. Uh, I believe that the answers to those questions are yes and yes, uh, but I'm happy to talk more about that for those who want to afterwards, not today afterwards, like email me. <laughs> but what I want to emphasize today, I'm setting healthy boundaries. <laughs> what I want to emphasize today is that we experience the resurrection of Jesus, we experience resurrection in our own lives in the presence of Jesus, okay? in the presence of the resurrected one, in the presence of the Lord of the resurrection. We don't acquire the roadmap to peace and life and health you know, from, from Jesus just like we're plugging in directions on Google Maps. The Bible says Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Throughout the Gospels, people experienced healing and revelation and liberation in the presence of Jesus, the woman uh, with chronic bleeding, whose, whose story we looked at a few weeks ago, the lepers, the paralytic, they experienced healing in the presence of Jesus. And we know from other gospel accounts, even from Luke 24, that when Jesus showed up, he would often invite his disciples to, to put their hands on him, to touch him physically, to, to put their fingers on his wounds, to prove to them that he was real and not a ghost. And for some, such as Thomas, it it was the tipping point. My Lord and my God, he says. But we also know from other gospel accounts, such as in Matthew, that even some of those disciples, they still doubted. They still had questions. They still weren't sure. And even still, they worshipped. My money is on Thomas being in that group as well. Because faith... As with any relationship in life, it always involves some uncertainty. It always involves doubt. It always involves acting in spite of incomplete information and no guaranteed outcomes. And faith, as with any relationship in life, is not just about what we think, right? It's not just about what's in our minds. It's about what we do. 
It's about how we act. It's what we do with our bodies. That would, uh, seeing what somebody does will tell you more about what they believe than their words. The invitation to experience God for real is always present, and it comes through the Holy Spirit, through the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 4, while they were eating together, Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the companion, the third member of the Trinity, the one who mediates to us the presence of God, the one who leads us into truth, the one who will complete the work Jesus began on earth through the people Jesus invites into that work. Now, you might still be thinking, you know, it would be so much easier to believe if if Jesus were to show up in person right, right now, as he did for those first disciples, you know, if I could have proof for myself, if I could eat with him, if I could, you know, just put, put him a hand, just make sure that he's real, I understand that. I understand that, that longing, that desire. And, and remember, there were still some who touched Jesus who weren't sure. Because we're never going to have all of the guarantees that we want. In 1960, the Catholic mystic Karl Rahner wrote, in the days ahead, you will either be one who has experienced God for real or nothing at all. And it's certainly true for me that it is my experience with God for real, with the God revealed in Jesus, through my experiences and encounters and ongoing interactions with the Spirit of God that, that keeps me connected keeps me committed, far beyond logical arguments or apologetic proofs and in the face of church hurt and Christians not behaving like Christ and a world that can sometimes seem broken beyond repair. It was in a charismatic church about actually about 20 years ago that I came to claim my faith for myself. It was a church where I learned to speak in tongues and to listen for interpretations where I learned to wait for words and pictures and images. And it's where I saw the power of God at work as we prayed for people and we sometimes saw them healed. That is certainly a way that the Spirit moves. We see it named in Scripture, described in Scripture, and remains a powerful witness to God's power today. However much or little you may encounter it in your life, let me encourage us all to, as, as Paul writes, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But these spiritual gifts are not the only way that the Spirit moves. A chapter later, in Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says that all the believers were united and they shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. That, too, is a move of the Spirit. That, too, is a sign of the presence of Jesus. In Ephesians 4, when Paul talks about the fivefold calling within the church, that some are called to be apostles and others prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and some teachers, all to work together for the building up of the body of the, of the church. When we discover our God-given callings and we, and we execute them and exercise them for the good of others, that too is a move of the Spirit. That too is the presence of Jesus. In Galatians 5, when we're told that when, when people allow God to uproot sin and turn over the dark corners of their lives and they begin to grow in love, 
and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, that too is a move of the Spirit. That is the character of Christ being cultivated in us. So let's long for all of those things. The fullness of the Spirit of God among us. Let's seek after all those things. The Spirit of God is the, is the presence of Jesus among us and in us. The Spirit of God continues the work of Jesus in us and through us and around us. This same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, we are told, lives in us. Same power that conquered the grave. And when Jesus said to his disciples, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was saying that one, being baptized with water, that's water, that's a sign, that's an outward expression of an inner reality. The other, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's not just a sign. That's the very power and presence of God. But that power has a purpose. Okay, I'm sure we could name any number of politicians, pastors, maybe even parents, any number of folks with any measure of authority for whom power for others became warped into self-serving power over others. Or power for oneself or one's own group or one's own security and stability. This is nothing new. And followers of Jesus are no less susceptible Verse 6, as a result, those who had gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? We're going to get power. Is this, is this what's going to happen? In verse 3, Jesus, it says, Jesus spoke to them about God's kingdom. But just like at Palm Sunday, they had certain ideas about what God's kingdom looked like. And for them, it began with political autonomy. For them, it began with military liberation. It began with restoring their own group. I'm going to read a quote from theologian Willie Jennings. And let me say, if you've never read a Bible commentary because you think it's really nerdy or dense or not really interesting, start with Willie Jennings' commentary on the book of Acts. It is insightful. It is challenging. It brings the words of Scripture to life. It speaks directly to the, the world as it is today. And, and it's so much so, I just wanted to read the whole thing to you. I'm going to read a chunk of it to you. This is what Willie Jennings writes about verse 6. The disciples ask the nationalist question. When will we rule our land and become self-determining, and if need be, impose our will on others? All this would, of course, be for the good of the world, they suppose. A resurrected Jesus cannot stop such a request from being made, nor could he thwart nationalist desire. Nationalist desire has tempted Israel from the beginning and, in fact, tempts all peoples. The nationalism suggested here is, listen to this, the deeply human desire of every people to control their destiny and shape the world into their hoped-for eternal image. Nationalist desire easily creates a fantasy of resurrection. And the fantasy of resurrection, it appeals to all peoples. It calls forth a triumphal vision of a nation that rises from death and is filled with conquerors and the powerful. Jesus, however, is not a sign of resurrection. He is its Lord. Resurrection will not define Him. 
Such fantasy dreams are completely understandable and quite compelling because they help us cope with the vulnerability that is creaturely life. And they reflect the power of accumulated wounds. The greater the number of wounds inflicted on a people, the greater the fantasy dreams of being self-determined and, and wielding power over others and power to control our own destiny. It drives the creation of walled communities, border patrols, and checkpoints, and turns violence and segregation into the proper exercise of the state's right to life. Go read the rest of the commentary. It's an understandable desire to gain control in a world of chaos. When will we be in control is the question. When will we be able to guarantee outcomes? It's always the inclination in our lives. But in response to his disciples' question, Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit, who is the presence and power of God for Jesus' disciples, is always intertwined with the purposes of God. That is, for his disciples to be witnesses of Jesus and witnesses to Jesus. to point to Jesus with the way that we live our lives, the words that we say, the things that we do, is to bring the life and liberation of God's kingdom to every image bearer of God, that is, every single human being. No matter who they are, no matter where they were born, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, the challenge is that sometimes the power of God can be co-opted by those who use the name of God to exercise power for their own purposes, for their own agendas. And you can tell those agendas because they fail to address the plight of those on the margins, those who have been disenfranchised, those who are considered the least of these, those who have been and are still systemically oppressed, those made poor, and widows and orphans and immigrants named in the Old Testament, the incarcerated, those made homeless, people with disabilities, Women in a patriarchal society, people of color in a white normative society, queer folks in a heteronormative society, the disinherited, to use the phrase of Howard Thurman. Don't let anybody sell you a vision of the power of God that seeks different purposes than God does, that advances an agenda that is not God's, that forms people in the likeness of someone, of anyone other than Jesus. Power of God seeks the purposes of God, which is to fling wide the gates of heaven to all who long to enter in, to see the liberation of the kingdom of God break into our world and break into our lives in ever-increasing measure, to see justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The promised Holy Spirit gives us the power to live as Jesus would if He were in our place pursue the purposes of God, to see the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, to bring life to the dead and dying places in our world and in our lives. 
Let me just say two more things. First, we are not called to do it on our own. We experience the resurrection of Jesus. We experience resurrection in our own lives as we pursue the purposes of God with the people of God in community. Jesus says, you all will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you all. And you all will be my witnesses. It's a plural you. Don't let America's gospel of individualism fool you into thinking on the one hand that you are on your own or on the other hand that your decisions do not affect others. When we accept Jesus, we become part of his body. We become part of his family. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the community of Christ. We're included in the commission of Christ. When we take communion, when we worship together, when we participate in discipleship through relationships and small groups and prayer and service, we are joining the rest of the church throughout history and around the world in seeking to be and do as Jesus did. We are not called to practice resurrection on our own, and indeed we cannot truly practice resurrection on our own. As the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, let the one who cannot be alone beware of community, and let the one who is not in community beware of being alone. Second, although we are not called to do it on our own, we are called to do something. We are called to act. We are called to respond. After, after Jesus gives the commission to his disciples, he, he disappears from their sight, and, and they're all looking up and looking up at heaven, and two angels appear, and they say, What you looking at? Why are you looking up? What are you waiting for? You've, you've been given your commission. You've been given your instructions. You've been told what to do. You've been called to be witnesses, not spectators. You've been called to be ambassadors, not bystanders. Living the resurrection is not just to admire what Jesus has already done, but it's to continue and participate in the ongoing liberating and renewing work of God's Spirit. Just as Moses commissioned Joshua to continue the work, just as Elijah commissioned Elisha to carry on the work, so also does Jesus commission His disciples and us in that line of succession to carry on the work, to partake in resurrection ourselves and to invite others to as well. Quasi-modo Jesus. Just like Jesus. In the words of Brandon Wrencher, a friend of our church who spoke here a couple years ago, he says, the question I grapple with every Easter now is whether I am living Jesus' resurrection life daily in building a new world. That's the invitation, friends. May the power of the resurrection, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and become as real and beautiful and tangible for you today and every day as hot sand and cold ocean water on your feet, sunlight on your face, 
May it transform everything in you and around you. And by the grace of God, may others know the same transformation through you. Let's pray. God, we bring to you all the areas in our lives and in our world that need your resurrection power. Places where we don't feel like we have the power or not enough power. And God, for some here that the invitation is to join with the people of God. It's to, to find community. It's to, to reach out to, to friends and, and to have others to walk with. For, for others, it will be the purposes of God. It will be aligning our callings and our, our giftings for the service of the good of the world and for the kingdom. God, some of us long for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives in ways that we, we can't predict or but we just, need, we just know that we need you. Some of us are banking on your promises that you love us, that you never leave us, that you desire our good, and we, we, we're praying that they come to pass, God, that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. And others here, God, we, we, we just want to know your presence. We're still wrestling with uncertainty or with all the questions or disappointments. And, and maybe, we're, maybe we're, we're, we're longing for 100% certainty. We're longing for guaranteed proof. And, and honestly, Lord, we, we just ask that you would show up some way, somehow, and we would know it. So God, I pray for us as a church that we would be a community of individuals and a community together that lives the resurrection, that practices resurrection together. That we might be filled with your Holy Spirit and renewed by your Holy Spirit, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that you call us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.